Hi, I'm Rachel Cook. I'm Corey Santiago, and this is Delete Delete If If Not Not Allowed. Um, super excited to have a guest with us today. We were just reminiscing that we feel like lifelong friends, but we're actually not. Carla and I have met in a professional context some years ago, only once in person, and then the rest was sort of on Zoom world. And since then, we've kind of went off in different directions professionally, but we have a lot in common still because we are both moms and change makers. And out here uh, doing what we can to change the world. So, Carla, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here. (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I was just telling my husband like all this stuff about you. And then I was like, you know what? I think I've actually only met her in person once. (laughs) <laughs> that look across came across his face where he was like, you talk about everyone as if they're your best friend that you've known for decades. And then it's like, and I've also only met them one time. And I was like, no, no, no. This is like, we actually like talk on social media. <laughs> Absolutely. We keep up. Grow up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like such a different level of bonding that I feel like I've come into. Like once I became a parent and then like folks that I knew were parents, like just the immediate bond that I feel with people is so cool and awesome. And just to like, be able to chit chat about what our kids are doing. It's just like a different level of connection with friendship. So yeah, it's been cool to stay in touch with you, Rachel, even outside of professional land. Absolutely. It's been super fun to watch your journey. I mean, you have a daughter similar in age, I guess. Well, I guess in between my two girls. (laughs) And it seems like you had just sort of like a whirlwind couple of years. Like you've literally been around the world. Like, can you just like catch us up like catch me up I guess (laughs) yeah yeah and Corey it's awesome to get to talk to you and I'm so excited to just even like share stuff and see um some overlap that you know I've just heard on the podcast so I'm just excited to get to talk to you both but yeah just a little bit about me my name's Carla Castillo I was born in Mexico and then I came over to the state so that I share that that colors a lot of the way that I approach life and parenthood and just decisions that I make. But over the last couple of years, I'd been living in Nashville where I'd been working. And then I met my now husband and we have been all over. He's in the military. So we left from Nashville to Miami and then we moved to DC for a little bit. And then we moved out of the country to Colombia, which is where my daughter was born. So we got married six weeks later, I was pregnant. And then about maybe six weeks after that, we were in a whole other country. And so my whole pregnancy, I was not just adjusting to like marriage and a new country and my husband starting a new job, but I was like pregnant in another country and away from my family. And I'm a native Spanish speaker, but like medical conversations, I was like not prepared. I like don't know those words. I felt like really out of my element. Um, And then I transitioned at work to part-time and then I actually left my job. So in the point of my daughter being born, I was also unemployed for six months. And then it's like, hey, you're moving back to the United States. So we came back to to the U.S. when my daughter was about four months old and we kind of bounced around seeing our family and we finally settled into our now home in the D.C. area last January. So almost exactly a year ago we like finally settled here so it was quite a year in Colombia and then really last year was just such a whirlwind year to just like arrive back here and my daughter was five months old when we got here but I feel like my real parenthood journey began then because it was like okay we're here what does life look like now like really 2023 was my whole journey of figuring out like what does it mean to be a mom like navigating postpartum returning to work and then like all of a sudden being like okay I felt like alone in a different way in Colombia because I was in another country but now I feel alone in a really unique way of like navigating parenthood and nobody that nobody in my close circle lives near me so just a lot a lot that came with the last year that is a absolute whirlwind I cannot give you enough credit for having a baby in another country because that thought is like 
I can't like in my brain like it's like nope can't even entertain that like that's wild and then like traveling with a young kid coming back and then like kind of like you said and we talk about this on the podcast a lot like okay I'm here like the village like where is it <laughs> where are, are they coming do I hire them do I have to assemble them like where I I was told there'd be people and now like this is when you need it. Yeah, yeah, that proverbial village. I'm still waiting for it to show up, and so I feel they like got that lost. Been, they yeah, it's like lost. Where, guys, the bat signal has been going on blast for <laughs> you know 16 months at this point. Um, yeah, that has been such an interesting part of this experience for me of like just being very aware that we were alone as a family unit here in this area, and then navigating everything that came with motherhood without those like physical support systems was just. And I don't know about y'all, I just, I felt like such a contrast with what I was seeing on social media. Like, I feel like everyone had it together and had this like idyllic life of grandparents and aunts and uncles floating in and out. And that just, I mean, it wasn't my experience on so many levels. Like I actually just really recently had a really difficult conversation with my parents about how like heartbroken I was that they weren't showing up in the ways that I thought they would, even with the distance. And like friends that I thought were going to be really close. I have met my daughter once, you know, like I don't really talk to you. It's just like, and then the folks who do want to show up are, you know, hundreds of miles away. So it's just so much that comes with feeling like, okay, does everybody else just like have this awesome pathway? And what does it look like for those of us who are trying to navigate it? Either just us in like a smaller unit or, you know, with one or two people who are our, you know, our village, but just not. I don't know. It was, maybe it was one of those learning experiences of like, okay, this is really different than what I thought it was going to be like when, you know, my kids were imaginary and I was imagining my life as a mom. And I think that that's a reality that most moms live is like the village is not there that you need, or if it's there, it's there part-time or it's like your parents have to travel in and stay with you for some time. Like, I think the highlight reel we see on social media is like, not it's not real. Like it's not for the majority of people, in my opinion, Rachel, I don't know how you feel about that, but it's just like, no, I mean, I, I feel like really blessed. Like my mom moved to the city I live in and she and her partner live like five minutes from me. And so I feel really lucky that the village did kind of come to me. And so I feel like I can't also complain because I like have a lot more. I have my mom right there and like she watches my kids two or three times a week, you know, and so there are times though, like she's my plant, she's the village. Like <laughs> when she gets sick or she goes to visit my grandma or something, like I, I am like stuck and I'm just like, damn. So I feel very lucky and I feel like, you know, I count my blessings every day that she is there. There was another though piece of it when she was, when I first had Lola on my own and she was up here, she wasn't living here yet, but she was staying with me. And it was a little bit like being a teenager again. And the fact that like, I had to explain what I was doing every time I wanted to leave the house. Like she was like, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, like I want to get my eyebrows waxed. Like, you know what I mean? Like It's like a real essential need. You need to babysit right now, you know? But anyway, um, no, it, it was, it's different for me. So I, I can't imagine, um, like I said, when she gets down for the count, I'm just like, mom, you better hurry up and get better right now. Cause I'm counting on this. <laughs> but there's so many layers to it. Like I, you know, and I was like hunting for content that felt connected to my experience. I came across this TikTok of this woman named, I think her name is Shantae. And she was talking about this idea of the village, but her take on it was that the village exists, but it's just not free anymore. And so you're outsourcing all this stuff, right? So even if you, you know, Rachel, maybe you had your mom, but like, did you need someone to come clean your house? Or did you need someone to like, meal prep for you or like you know do you use hello fresh or products like that that kind of simplify life right like all of that is stuff that like especially for me coming from a, a latina community like you used to do that intergenerationally all in one household right so like somebody's mom or aunt was cooking the meals and somebody else was cleaning the house but like now those are all things like if i want some freedom from my mental load and like a room to breathe and like you gotta pay for it family, babe yeah you gotta pay for it like and I'm like really trying to find some semblance of like the soft life within motherhood. And so I'm just like, well, then my checkbook is the one getting the hit because if I have two free hours and I'd rather like take a nap and get my hair done and maybe that means I pay someone to come clean my house instead of me doing it. We were just talking about that yeah. though, like the luxury and the privilege to be able to outsource, outsource. you know? Yeah. And like, for me, I feel like same thing, like, there are plenty like we just we all decide what corners we're going to cut you know what I mean and like 
when you can't pay for it, you have to put it down. Like I was saying that about like my house. And I guess, you know, it's all relative. Like, you know, we, we make choices. For me, I'd rather pay to get my hair done than clean my house. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, I'm putting down the house. Like I'm just deciding I'm not going to hey, have put it down. Makes it sound like you're just <laughs> letting it go to pasture. But, but I mean, it, and like, I, I think if, and like part of that village, even though I like, don't want to say it's part of the village because it feels like it shouldn't be, but like it's childcare and paying for childcare. And like, and that, if I didn't have such that giant, like hit to my income, like then I could outsource a lot more of my life and feel a lot better and be more present with my kid. But I literally have to earn money to pay for all the other things. So like, this is where we're at. And it's just, uh, I think it's really stressful for a lot of working moms. Like I could not afford, like we can, I cannot stay at home. Like that is not an option for us and something I wouldn't want to do anyway, but it is, like I knew childcare would be expensive and that'd probably be the biggest part of my paid village because like we moved far away from my family. Like I knew this is what was going to happen, but I did not anticipate how it would go at all. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, I hear you on that. We, DC is, I think the most expensive place in the country for childcare. I learned really quickly a lot about this, both as a mom and in the whirlwind of the last year, I started a new job in a whole new issue area for me. So I come from higher ed access world, but I started a new role at an organization called the National Women's Law Center. And I work as a policy analyst on federal childcare policy. So it was like a cool alignment of things happening in my life and an issue area I was interested in. So, you know, as I'm learning the ropes of federal childcare policy, I'm also living the reality of like, wait, how much is childcare going to cost me? Like, okay, that's equal to my rent. That's more than some people's mortgage. It's, on par with college tuition in some states like I'm learning all this stuff that just feels like how is this supposed to work for families across the country for working families I mean you're exactly right I think I agree with you having had six months at home without labor employment I didn't feel like I was going to be my best self if I stayed home so I was excited to get back to work but I also felt like so undervalued because those six months, that's the hardest I've ever worked in my life. The longest hours I have ever put in, I just wasn't getting paid for that work, right? Like it was just seen as like, this is just what you do, which like, I love my child, but it was like really hard work. It's true but, work. Stay at home mom is a job I couldn't yeah. wait to quit. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good way to put it. <laughs> okay. Maternity leave's over. Gotta go. Sorry. We'll figure right. this out. Like. My work is my break, which is wild. But yeah, I, I hear you on that. Like childcare being the biggest piece of the village that you pay for and how um, overwhelming it feels to try to make it work. Even with two incomes in this wild economy that we're in, it's so tight. It's insane. And like our daycare is more than uh, our mortgage and we only have one kid in daycare right now. Like I shudder at the thought of putting our next baby in daycare. I'm like, we can only do it two days a week because that's all we're going to be able to afford. Like that's it. And we yeah. have two six-figure incomes in this house. That's insane yeah. to me. Yeah, we were thinking about, we're, we're starting to talk about, you know, next baby and, and timeline on that. And like the way that we paused our thinking as soon as we did the math on like two daycare costs right like we're like oh do we, does this need to wait a couple more years what is it gonna i mean like? and that that's the reality for a lot of people like we couldn't have a baby at the time we wanted to because we literally would not have been able to afford it like we timed mm -hmm. this out so that she would turn three and we'd get the price break in the daycare mm -hmm. so that we could afford to then that's that price break is just going to come right back to us with the a second tuition but i think that's a reality i just didn't anticipate when i was thinking about like when my children were thoughts and not real like you just don't think like, well, I'm not gonna be able to have a kid because I can't afford for someone else to watch them so I can go to work. Like, it's just not a thing you think about. I think along with that, like I just, I was navigating, figuring out childcare for my child. And then at work, I just had like so many questions coming up for me too. Like, why is childcare so expensive? Like, where is this money going? And largely a lot of that for me had to do with like understanding in my lens, the brokenness of the system as, as I was learning, you know, on the policy side, how childcare workers are some of the most underpaid workers in this country, and they are among the professions that are growing the least, right? So their their wages are not rising in comparison to other low wage workers. And so if I'm I'm learning like, okay, folks make twelve to thirteen dollars an hour. Like fifty percent of them are on public assistance. Most of them are dealing with food insecurity, no access to benefits like healthcare. Um, I mean, even with a college degree, like what is happening here? Like, where is the break in, you know, the fact that parents are paying so much and 
workers are paying so little. And then I, you know, as I'm learning, I'm realizing like, okay, this is a field of predominantly women of color, almost 50% are immigrant women. Like there's just so many layers to how we value or really devalue work in this country, care work in this country. So just so many questions, but um, yeah, I'm happy to jump into this as, as wonkily as y'all want to or not, but just, you know, I, one of the episodes that I was listening to you, Corey, you were talking about like, why do I have to pay to be put on a wait list? And like, that's such a real question. Like all of these things that come with childcare, like why are the wait lists so long, first of all? And then why do we have to pay to be on them for a year and a half and not have, even get a call back, right? Like it's just so symptomatic of all the problems within the system. And I think as like a daycare mom, like you start to inevitably do that math, right? You're like, okay, like <clears throat> I know I'm paying thousands of dollars for my kid to go to this place every month, right? And there's seven other kids in her class that are full-time and they are paying. And I know that they're paying these teachers shit, frankly, like they just are, like we we know that. So like, what, like obviously it's all going to profit. Like that's unsettling, right? Like, yes, there's overhead expenses. I'm sure there's rent and insurance and like our diapers and wipes and food are included, thankfully, and a lot of people who don't have that. But like, I'm like, e even so, like I'm trying to like people pop in my head. I'm like, but it is just clearly like, it's very much a for-profit industry. I think for being an outsider, but like you have no choice because it's all like that, or at least where I live. Like there's no, I know it's like very different, like in geographic areas of the country, but like, I feel like in most places, a lot of people's daycare is on par or more than their rent or mortgage if they have to send their children full time. And I just keep thinking like, we make like good money, quote unquote, but like, how do people do it? Like, how would my, like, how do, how does a regular like person who's making the regular average wage, like afford to do this? And I think a lot of families just can't anymore. I'm just like curious. I mean, I'm thinking about like for all of us, like, did your mom stay home or like, I'm just wondering, Carla, like, is this like a newer, like, I mean, has it always been broken? Has it always been so expensive or is it like a recent like boom? So my mom did not stay home with me, but largely because we had immigrated here she was a single mom like it, it was just not feasible for her we did what a lot of folks of color do which is you know we call it uh, family friend and neighbor care so it's it's not like a center-based or an officially accredited place but it's you know someone who lives next door who can watch your kid they also have kids or it's an aunt or a grandma or something so that was my child care when I was growing up was just like neighbors and aunts and uncles taking care of me in terms of like the system and the and the policy context, and I want to just say this kind of closer to the front end than not, I by no means consider myself an expert in childcare policy. I've learned a lot, but I'm only 11 months in. Like, I think there's like so much left to learn. There's folks who have dedicated decades of their lives to this policy topic. And so I'm just telling you, like, this is like my summary of what I have learned in the last year at this job. But um, my understanding of it is, um, this care work has been devalued for so long and it's largely on racist and classist principles where like care work was traditionally done by women of color originally done by enslaved women who were forced to care for the children of white people and they just kind of continued that way where it was either like seen as a, a job to be underpaid because it was done by women of color or it was supposed to be a job that's not paid at all because it's a you know it's not a real job you do it out of love right. this is your responsibility so there's like all of these like kind of societal judgments around what care work is floated into public policy as happens right like we see these things embedded in it it's a system that is you know, not like other entitlement programs that are like on auto pay, right? Like the childcare is dependent on the federal appropriations process every single year. So every year it's up for debate how much money they're going to get. However much it is, it serves a fraction of kids who are eligible. eligible. Eligibility is like so difficult to get. There's such an administrative burden to be able to stay on childcare. It's just not working for people who need it. And the amount of people who need it is bigger than the people who are considered like needy to be receiving it in this moment. But one thing that I found interesting in my learning is that we actually were really close as a country to having a system of universal child care 50 years ago. So in oh. 1971, it passed both in the House and in the Senate. It was approved by Congress and it was vetoed by President Nixon. And the reason it was vetoed was, oh. yeah was very much along the lines of protecting the like nuclear family because a woman's place is at home and it was also used because the way that the policy was written was kind of to facilitate integration 
Um, and so it was kind of vetoed on both of those counts. But I had no idea that we had been that close. I didn't as either. A country to having a universal childcare system. That's devastating. I like... said it once and I'll say it again. Men do not deserve rights. They are the reason why it is all down the toilet. When you said a, when you said a man was the reason, I was like 0% surprised, man. That is, of course, why we don't have it. But like I had I, I almost like I'm glad I know that now, but I'm like it makes me more fired up because it's like okay like it was right there and like especially since it's a crucial time for like women to be a part of the workforce and like that turning point and it was just down the tube basically yeah and it really never recovered from there like it's been very much like you know um individual families making it work coming out of your pocket anything that does exist is very rooted in some really difficult like deservingness conversations around who is entitled to support and why should they get it and very mired in like welfare debates and it's just like a difficult policy topic to jump into in the sense of like I think both sides agree that childcare is important in this present moment but there's just not agreement on like okay well how do you actually fund a system that works for families now in the economy that we're in now in the way that like the world is working in this moment especially financially i think there's also just such like all these complicated layers and then there's also just such scarcity of options like i know we were very blessed to not have to go on a wait list and <clears throat> i won't have to go on a wait list for this next baby which i'm very grateful for but like a lot of my friends were on like five six seven wait lists when i was calling around for daycare a lot of them were like okay you can put on the wait list now but um like you you can't like tour it first and decide you can't like have any time like it's now or never there's someone literally on the other line that will take your spot yeah. and I just like didn't realize how insane and like the scarcity for child care was like if there's just not a lot of options period and it's like what are you supposed to do like if you're a mom and you have to go back to work because you, you don't make enough money on one income like and your return to leave is ending and there's no one to watch your kid and like you don't have a village near like what do you do like you probably turn to like an unsafe or not your best option because you have no other choice. And like that just moms deserve better, obviously in this country, but like, I just keep thinking like, what would we do? Yeah. I think you're right about like unsafe places. And I think, you know, we also like forget we're talking about kids, you know, and like how much have my kid, my kid has learned so much at daycare. And I'm like, this is their little brains are sponges in those early years. And for them to have a healthy place, where their development is able to like take off and they're able to like feel nurtured enough to grow and learn and explore. I mean, that is really valuable too, right? Like that's, I, I would think that's what we want for our kids. And I, it just kind of blows my mind that folks are so quick to dismiss that as an important need for our society. Like, of course we want what's great for moms. And of course the economy is important, but it's like, we're also talking about kids and their, their first years of life and the experiences we want for them. And I think it speaks to, you know, what you said before too, about the work being devalued. Like, I do think they're like, oh, well, you just like watch kids and change diapers all day. Like, no, my kid is smart because she goes to daycare and these women have taught her and like work with her on a lot of stuff and like have gotten her through a lot of like issues we were working through. Like it all gets worked out through daycare. Like, these I'm, these women love my child. Like my child loves these women. Like no, I I I agree. I mean, it was like the holiday time, and I was in like um a group chat with some of the other moms from the school, and they were like, "Are you contributing to like?" Apparently, there were class moms. I didn't. This is how bad of a daycare mom I am. I didn't even know there was a class mom. They're like, "Are you doing like the class gift?" I was like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "The class mom emailed." I'm not even on the email list for the class. I don't even know. I'm that bad of a mom, but. Um, so they were like, are you contributing to the class gift for the teachers? And I was like, I don't know. Are you guys? And they were like, oh, I want to, but I also want to get them something special because like these, this teacher is like, again, like our third parent, like, you know what I mean? And I feel the same way. Like I wrote handwritten notes to Lola's teachers being like, thank you for helping me raise like a badass little girl, like who's strong and confident because she's watching you guys. And like, I think you have the hardest job in the world and I love you. Like, and here's 50 bucks. Like, please take care of my kid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I really think that they have the hardest job in the world. When I drop, when I drop Lola off and like, I see all the kids, I'm just like, yo, I, I like I get overwhelmed just like in the 10 minutes I'm in the room like the ex like that what they're doing is should be the highest like is such skilled labor 
the patience, like, you know what I mean? The negotiation skills, like everything that they're doing to and me. just making like, everything fun and like keeping it engaging. Like now Allie's doing yoga at school. They're doing a yoga program. I'm like, hop off, sis. She's like, I do poses. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like you're cooler than I am. That's fine. But like, it's that like, and these, they all have like college degrees. Like this is, I feel like a lot of people also don't realize that most daycare is like curriculum based. Like it's not like they're just going to like get their diaper changed and eat lunch with their friends. Like they're learning things. Like there's like daycare accreditations. There's like all this, st there's just so many layers to it. And like, of course you want the best thing for your kid, but like, why should some people be able to get that and other people don't? And why do we, if it's so prize like we want that so much then boy she'd probably give a shit about those people just a little bit more like it's just so weird how that like those two things just exist and we're like okay cool like that's just how it's gonna be like I participate yeah. in that system because I have no other choice but like I don't feel great about it like I don't think anybody does but what else do moms do like what do we do here well growing up like I mean when my mom first had me she actually went back to teaching and she brought me to the class and she had like there was a woman in the school who like watched me in the class next door I don't know what else she did in the school but like apparently on her free period she watched me in the other classroom and then when my mom had more kids like she we I was the first of four she eventually stayed home um, but I think before, while I was still like the only kid or for the first couple of years, I went to like, we went to a, like a friend's, like a neighbor's house and there were like six of us kids that went there. And she was like, she was like the younger, the woman actually was like the younger sister of like, like she was like the cool, the cool babysitter vibe, yeah, 20 year old, like, you know what I mean? Who was like. I remember watching her like put on makeup and stuff, getting ready to wait tables after watching us all day. But like, she was so cool, Tracy. And like, <laughs> I love you, Tracy. And like, I went there like all the time and, you know, with a group of kids or whatever, it was probably like five of us and she like watched us. But I've had that thought, like, you know, in my moments of frustration and financial distress of being like, what if I just stayed home? And again, financially, it doesn't make sense for us. But then I was like, well, what if I took in other kids? <laughs> like, you know, I'm not trying to run a home daycare, but like, you know, Corey, if you were nearby, like, you know what I mean? And like, I always tell my sister, I'm yeah. like, when you decide to have kids, like if you moved up here, it would maybe make sense for one of us to stay home with all the babies. Um, but I mean, that's again, like a, a, a vision of communal intergenerational living that <laughs> is not like, again, sort of the norm for not me. this generation I feel like it's something that like my like mine and my husband's parents had like I mean my mom stayed home but she still had a village anyway like I spent time at my grandparents and my aunt's house or my great-grandma's house like I was going everywhere like I never went to a daycare center but I was if my mom wanted to go hang out with her boyfriend like or do whatever like I was gone like there was a place for me to go she was never had to worry about it like when my husband was growing up like in that culture it's very traditional for like someone to stay at home his mom had to go back to work so his grandma moved from puerto rico lived in their house from when he was like six months old to when he was like 18 to like take care of him even when he was older she would like make dinner every night and like clean his room i was like your grandma cleaned your room like she washed your clothes like cannot imagine that life but like that was just a, that's just what happens and like you know his parents are older now like obviously they can't do that for us but that's something they said they wish they could do because generationally that's what you're supposed to do and it's just like we just are at that point where I think that's kind of over. Like we can't, like it's very, it's like such a privilege to have that kind of family care around you. And like, it's so good for your children, but a lot of people just don't have it. I don't know about you guys though, but like I, <laughs> I have boundary issues already with my daughters, but I tell them all the time. I'm like, when you have a baby, like I will come wherever you are <laughs> and like, I will help you raise your babies. Like I, they might not want that, but like, and they might be in different corners of the world. And in that place, I'll have to figure mm -hmm. it out. But like, I don't know, like, I really want my kids to live physically close to me. Like, well, I, I know I, I could cry about it, but I, I know I have 18 years, but like, I Wait, really got time, babe. You got time. It's fine. The same way too. And then it like, it does something to me where I'm like, and I live so far from all of my family. Right. And then I'm like, um, that's the lifestyle my, my daughter. And if I have more kids, my kids will have, or if they're like, they're just going to be used to picking up and moving. And will it get to the point where like, they're like, oh, it's fine. It's normal. Yeah, mom, I'm going to move to Colombia again to reconnect with my home. Country. I don't know. Like that's going to be a really different experience where it's like, I think I'm craving, I'm very like community centered. And so I think I'm really craving, like maybe one day I will have this like vision. I would love to 
be a caretaker for my grandkids. You know, I already think about that, like how beautiful that would be. But then also, you know, I was recently, I helped um, organize a day on the hill for some um, some childcare providers who came from New Mexico. And I, um, you know, one of them is, has been running her home daycare center for, you know, maybe 25 years. And um, she said something that stuck with me, which was, you know, we love our grandkids and we love caring for kids, but we're also getting older and we're tired and it's just hard to be chasing toddlers for 30 years. And there are days that, yes, I want to take care of my grandkids, but there are other days where I would just love to kind of sit down and rest. And that really stuck with me because it's like you kind of expect grandparents to want a grandparent all the time. And also to think about like, well, yeah, they do deserve rest. And so if we do have a really great childcare system that we can all count on however much we need it, you know, if and when we need it for anyone who's a caretaker to get to rest, what a benefit that is for us generationally as well. And like what that means, more grandparents are involved if they know, okay, it's just like a one or two day a week thing. It's not like a five days a week thing. And like, I'm still able to kind of have routine and have things for myself that work for my schedule now and in my, in my years that are, you know, mine again. Yeah. And Rachel, when you were like, I'll move wherever you are, like Chris and I used to always be like, all right, well, we're going to retire to Spain. So if you want to Spain, like you can come live with us. But that is like something you think about, right? And also like generation gaps are very different. Like I also think to that point, like my grandparents were very like young grandparents. So like, cause my grandma had children really young. So like they were able to like watch me all the time. And like, it wasn't a big thing. Like, I think my grandma was probably in her like, I don't know, forties when I was born. So like, that's a lot different than like when I have my children and my grandma is like in her seventies, like that's obviously very different. Like my husband's mother had him when she was 40. So like, that's like, like my grandma and my mother-in-law are the same age pretty much. So like, I think just generationally too, with like the way, the time we're having children and like making time for ourselves, like that's really great, but we don't think in projection of like, all right, well, like, how is that going to be for like my kids, kids? And like, am I, if they wait to have kids, like, am I going to be too old? Like if I wait to have more kids, like, is that going to affect them? Like, will they make childcare decisions based on like, if I can help them or not? And like, I just never thought I'd have to be doing that kind of mom math that just like never equated to me. And I think, you know, to the whole point, if we had a better system of support here, we might not be as worried about that. And like, we might be able to have our families enjoy each other. And like, it's just feels like such a struggle right now. Well, and the other kind of place we're headed to, and, you know, again, I hope, at least for me, I, you know, I'm hoping that this is not something I have to deal with anything in the immediate future, but like the very real reality for us as moms of having to be the caretaker of the children and our parents. And we, we know people who are in that, in that crux right now, you know what I mean? Where it's like, talk about care work being devalued for children and also for, for elderly people. And, you know, I think we're headed to a real, crisis like that in our country about how we take care of older folks and you know the like I mean it's just so sad and scary when you hear about the choices people are forced to make in their older age about about care and you know when people can no longer stay at home and what you do or wanting to take people in and again the burden falling on on moms who of course you want to take care of your mom too or you want to bring her home and 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 be the one to take care of her but like you're also raising children and working and taking care of your parents like that is a and heavy if you're faced with that decision while we're like on the precipice of a child care cliff right there's not enough places open anymore peer available period for these children so it's like okay like well my parents cannot live alone anymore like it is a danger I have to do this but also like what am I going to do with these kids <laughs> I have right. to go to work like we both have to do this it's just that like there are no like what do we do the options yeah. are so nil and the whole care economy is this way in terms of like elder care and you know care for folks with disabilities and obviously child care like all of these questions of like, why is it so expensive? Why is it so difficult to find something that's stable and consistent, like that works for different families with different needs? All of it is just like on the precipice of falling apart because there's just not like real robust investments in them. But I think you're like, yeah, I have coworkers who talk about their experience and what they call the sandwich generation of like, you know, you're, you're caring for your kids who are young and you're caring for your aging parents and what that does to you as a person and 
that's something that like childcare has been so as expensive as it is has been so great for me in the sense of like I trust the women who care for my daughter and I trust that she's someplace safe and that she's having a great time even if it's a difficult week like this week she's teething canines and she's been like having a fever oh, and, worst. and not eating but even in that like I know she's like having good days there and what that does to my nervous system in the sense of like I can like be relaxed while she's at daycare and like do work and focus on other things and knock things off my to-do list in a way that if I didn't have that trusted person with my child I don't know I would I had a situation before she was in child care I had someone at home that ended up being not safe for my child and the way that like my body reacted to that was awful like I was not performing well at work I was not like really being a good parent either I was just like so burned out you can't out be a person experience. you can't and you're just yeah. like exhausted by it but the contrast of like she is safe and cared for so then I'm a relaxed person and I like am you know able to like see myself outside of just like survival mode it's also great you know and I just there's so many layers to it and I, I think moms often are kind of having to like just power through stuff and so I just think of child care as like a part of the system that obviously works for families and multi-generations but for the things that moms take on what a lifesaver and saving grace it can be to have some place that you know your kid is like really having a good time like my daughter comes home learning stuff that I was like oh you know how to wash your hands I didn't even think about teaching you how to wash your hands that's great that that's what you were doing today cool that's awesome you learned a new song okay but like I know that you know her time is fruitful and that helps me have good days too because I'm I'm also the whole person still and I yeah, want to be of balance and I feel like there's like a new hierarchy of needs when you become a mom right and like the safety of your children when you're not with you when they're not with you and like that that time is valuable is a whole other layer and like you are not going to be able to show up in any other aspect of your life if you're just constantly like oh, is my kid okay is my kid okay is my kid okay can I see them like should I just go get them I feel terrible about leaving them like then you know, obviously your performance at work and like as a partner in your marriage or like if you're caring for your parents like it's just such a domino effect yeah so, so what do we do what what well, like what do we do so here's some thoughts on where we're at as a country with our child care system within this country. So this is like my two cents on what I've learned. And it's also somewhat the position of my organization, but I'm not here, um, you know, as their spokesperson in this moment. But what I have learned through all of this is that what we need are robust public investments into this system. Because otherwise what we have is parents having to pay really high costs that are also not enough to cover a living wage and benefits for providers. So something gets lost in the middle, right? And for some, yes, it's profit. Like there are for-profit care centers, but for others that are smaller, like a lot of them are small businesses. They're owned by women. Um, a lot of them are at home. So a lot of it really is like overhead and personnel and the administrative burden and like the cost of materials and stuff right and like there's folks who like forego their own salaries to be able to pay their employees and like keep their ratio at a safe place for kids so I do think that for the most part folks outside of the private equity are making really good decisions for kids it's just the money the math doesn't math right like there's not enough money coming in to be able to give us both a high quality experience for kids and great benefits for workers while not taking it all out of parents' pockets. So I think where that leaves us is we either stay the course and you just keep paying more and then just becomes like a privileged thing that only really high income earners have access to. Um, or we consider this in the way that we consider all other pieces of our social infrastructure. So this is care work is the work that makes all other work possible, right? It's the backbone of our economy. If, um, if childcare, you know, centers or home centers closed, like what would that do, right? Like how, if you got a call right now that your center closed tomorrow, how that would throw your family and your jobs for a loop, right? And so, so many centers are kind of living paycheck to paycheck in that sense of having to decide, is this the week that we notify parents that we're closing because we just cannot make it work anymore, right? So without robust public investment from the federal government, um, or state governments, ideally both, 
um, it's just going to continue to be a broken system because it's a broken market model, right? Like it's just like, where is the wheels are constantly falling off. Like it is not, it is not, it is not working. Like we can't do the same ramshackle thing that we've been doing. Like it's just, it's over. It's not happening together. It's on the verge of a crisis. And then COVID is a perfect example of like, it was going to fall apart. The system was going to fall apart. And so what happened, the federal government invested tons of money, but that money has expired. And so now we are back to the precipice of crisis again. And so, you know, one could think about it like, okay, if we were investing in childcare the way that we invest in roads and bridges, and we just see this as an essential piece of how we make our society work, how different that might look, right? And it, it, you know, it could lead us down conversations of, you know, what is the role of government? What is the value of investing in different social programs? Um, for me, through this experience, both as a mom and as a policy analyst, I land at the money is there. Um, it's just a question of how we're using it. And it's a question of like whose work we value in this country um, and like what we think family experiences should be like, right? Like, is it like just figure it out and, you know, the village isn't real, so just accept it and figure it out? Or is it like it could be different? What does it look like to approach things from a community minded place? Um, but, you know, um, in terms of like the state of play congressionally, a lot of things are up in the air as, you know, you all know how crazy things are in Congress. And so same with childcare, everything is dependent on them being able to strike deals. And so right now we're still waiting for them to uh, make decisions on, you know, fiscal year 24 appropriations. We're about to start fiscal year 25. And that's important because childcare funding is dependent on every year, them deciding how much money pours into it, right? Um, but there are some other interesting things at play that I'll just, you know, mention. There's also movement to um, inject a 16 billion, what they're calling like supplemental funding to cover um, the COVID dollars that went in and now have expired. But they're seen as like a really, really critical piece of the funding structure um, that without it, I mean, some folks are estimating like thousands of programs will close, millions of kids will lose their childcare spots. So it's like slowly this money dries up over the next year. Um, so there is a push. President Biden um, included it in a supplemental request. There's a push within Congress to try to get this money. And then there's also um, two bills that play, one by Senator Warren and one by Senator Murray. And the vision of both of those bills, one's the Child Care for Working Families Act and one's the Child Care for Every Communities Act. Um, and really, the, they're different um, in terms of like the mechanics of how it would work. But the big picture thing is that it would cap payments for families while also um, you know, ensuring that there's supports for workers to be earning a living wage and, and having support as a system. So, um, you know, there's like movement for this moment and to try to get us through this crisis. And then there's like these kind of North Star ideas of like how the system should be in a different world where we have what we need and are able to have more than just enough to get by. So um, that's my very quick recap of all the things happening, um, but more than happy to, you know, keep sending updates as things come up. I think, you know, in the next couple of months, March particularly, we might see some movements so with some cool call to action opportunities for like engagement. I think moms on the Hill are so powerful. And so anytime that moms can be involved um, congressionally or with the administration, it's just like so important. So, yeah definitely encourage any two any free two seconds that you have to, to share why this is such a high need all right pack your bags we're going i like <laughs> i was just gonna say like Corey's just been like waiting like this Corey is my just, like, time you're <laughs> made for the government like, it shouldn't be i would love to dismantle the government more than anything for legal reasons that's a joke but to me it's just wild like okay we're about to jump into this election year which is just vile as it stands right like no one's looking forward to this like this is this is not good for for anybody but it's not a part of either party's like major platform really like democratic platform like talks about like you know sitting at the table and then like you know families being able to get what they need but like that that's too abstract for me like mm -hmm. this is such a on fire issue in so many families like it is so important and these men are not talking about it i'm not shocked by this but it's just like it's not like that is not a piece of the platform for anyone when it's such a piece of the life of people who are going to vote like it just doesn't seem like it's not registering there 
And it's but, a um, deal breaker for politicians. Like if no. it's on the table and then they're negotiating, like they're not going to fight tooth and nail if it's for childcare. Like childcare is going to be one of the things that they're like, okay, we'll first things to go. Cause they'll be like, time. well, they figured it out for all this time. So they'll keep figuring right. it out. It's like, okay, right. but we're at the end of that rope. Like the rope is frayed. It's burning. It's done. Like goodbye. It's over. Like we can't do that anymore. Like, and I just don't like, I think that there's a big swath of this country who is just struggling and drowning in this and then there's another piece that makes the rules that just isn't concerned and is like well it'll be fine and like i don't want to see what it's like when it's not fine like that's not a country and not a place i want to live in <clears throat> it's just it's not and there's just not a lot of options i mean i feel like i live in a place where i am pretty privileged we do have a lot of centers we do have a lot of great things but like, that's not the place for everybody else. Like, and there's even wait lists here. And like, just, it's just so stressful as it is. Like, if there's less options available, like, I just don't, like, if my center closed tomorrow, I don't know what I would do. Because there's no other place I could even go. Like, there's options, but I have to be on wait lists and da, da, da. And there's a lot of people I know who can't afford to go, like, work full time because they can't afford to put their kids in full time. And like, what are we gonna, it's just astounding to me that, like, there's not more people screaming like help us this is bad when my kid goes to college it'll be a break it'll be so much cheaper than what i'm paying now to send her to daycare that is insane i could have an investment property instead of sending her to daycare that is insane which is why yeah, my dream is that childcare becomes like a leading issue uh you know things that candidates talk about that they campaign on that they like you know really are held to make changes on it would be awesome for people to say like, this is my number one priority issue and I'm going to make it happen. And I don't, you know, I don't know how we get there. And I, I think there's just so much, um, again, like back to like this not being valued as important, but like the way that this impacts moms and families, like maybe it's a larger public narrative piece that needs to happen, but yeah, it, like you were saying in the election year kind of dumpster fire feelings of it all like gosh to see some sort of hope for this to be highlighted as a as an important issue area would be yeah would be great. i know we all are like that's a pipe dream but like yeah. i also feel like it's just also like diversity in government and our officials like there's not enough women there's not enough people of color there's not enough diversity like if we keep putting the same people in the same places the same things will happen mm -hmm. so I mean, that's a bigger systemic issue that we don't have to talk about here. <laughs> so y'all need to run for office and get all the moms to run for office. And then we'll fix our child crisis. I love that. I love that vision. It's funny because Corey and I, I think we both think of ourselves as like pretty political beings and, you know, informed and moms who are very versed on the issue. But like, I don't know, Carla, just like your framing of all of this is like super helpful and informative. And I feel like I've learned so much and like you are like doing the work you're living the work you're doing the work and it's an inspiration and like you know I do meaningful work too that I feel like every day contributes to like the good but like I don't know this issue like again is like one that <laughs> really hits home literally and I just like really admire and respect you so much for thinking about this at such a high level and doing the work that you're doing and like connecting with the other people you're connecting with because we all benefit from what's happening we do and I felt bad when I was like, well, what do we do? <laughs> Put you on the spot. But Save us, Carla. Yeah. I was just like, you know, no pressure, but uh, keep us from sliding down the hole. That's great. I'm not trying to do like the toxic po positivity thing because like I'm with y'all like this is fucked. But <laughs> I I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope that also like the three of us, like, you know, we're here. We're talking about this. We're raising this issue. And I really hope that our daughters are not having the same conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really don't think it gets worse. Like, I, I really pray that by the time they're mothers, they're having a different conversation. It'll be different. It'll be weird in a different way, but like... It'll be problems I, we don't anticipate, right? But I hope that like our <laughs> children have uh, more rights and less problems <laughs> than we do, right? Like that's that's the, the hope for it. But like, I think you both do really super like important work to like the fabric of our society. I work for a giant consumer product goods company. So like, I don't really have that virtue, but it's like, okay, like there are so many people like me that are still having this problem and they feel like, okay, I have to do something about it. And like, 
I've been saying I have to do something about it, but I think I hate to do like New Year's resolutions. So I think they're bullshit, but like as a forever me resolution, it's like, okay, how do I get involved now? Like, mm. is that going somewhere? Is that showing up? Is that speaking somewhere? Is it volunteering with this? Like, how can I do that? Like, well, or is it this podcast though, Core? You know what I mean? Like, I it think is, it is. Something. I think, and that's like, part of it. And like bringing, like, this is like our little piece to the world. And like I always said, if I can help one person, like that will help. But it's like that that will help. But like, and I need to do more than that. I think it's a personal thing. You got to figure out what, like, what fits in, what, yeah. you, what you can do, what you have the capacity to do, right? What fits in with your life. But like, just to connect the dots here, like you guys were talking before about like what women do when they have no options. Like that's how a lot of women end up becoming incarcerated is because of the choices they have to make when they're trying to feed their family or protect their family. And I just want to make that linkage because we had that episode last season about mothers who were incarcerated and I'm not trying to like pretend there's one single narrative for women in prison, but a lot of mothers in prison were mothers out here trying to figure out how to work and pay for childcare at one point. And anyway, so no, I, but I mean, that's true. Way, by telling the stories, like by by hearing more women and mothers tell their stories, which this podcast is creating a venue for, we help raise awareness to these issues and that a lot of moms like, you know, we're all in our own version of survival mode. We don't necessarily always think about where we fit in compared to other moms, you know? No, we don't. And I think there's a lot of like, I'll, I'll just say it. I am one privileged white women who are like, well, like I figure it out. Other people figure it out. And it's like, no, bitch, that's not how it happens. Like people make unsafe decisions because they have no other choice. They're putting their children before themselves because that's what you do as a mom. Right. So, yes, that could lead you down like a path of incarceration, but also could lead you down a path of like addiction or horrible choices that end in death. And like that, it, like that's very like dramatic or like just the absence of a parent period from your kid's life. And like that doesn't help either. What happens to those kids? Like this is just a domino effect like of of how this is or, or even like your loss of self if you have to leave the workforce and stay home with your kids. Like that's not good for everybody. Like that's not good for every family. That doesn't end well always. So it's just, it's so important. Like it's something we're obviously super passionate about. We're so grateful that you came to like talk us off the ledge a little bit, give us a little bit of hope and and like see what we can do. But I think like, you know, this is something Rachel and I are super passionate about. We hope one day to be able to do more work like outside of this podcast to help moms. I don't want to spill the beans too much there, but like this is you know, something we really care about. And I'm just grateful we could have this discussion and hopefully it inspires you at home who's listening to reach outside yourself and talk to other moms about this or like, how can you help in your community? Like, who are you voting for locally? Like, that's how this all happens. Like, just I think just to turn the the blinders off and like make it a safer space for people to become involved is really important. Like we have to talk about this or it's never going to get better. Yeah. Thank you all for letting me come and like get nerdy on this. This was like a cool experience for me to be learning a policy issue area. And then it was also like so deeply personal and to my theme of figuring out like, okay, how do you parent without this village? This was one thing that like as sad as it is, still gave me some hope in the sense of reframing where it's like this is not my fault that this is so difficult this is a systemic problem that needs to be addressed and it's not it should not be just on us so like for you to hold this space in this conversation and it might be a good light bulb moment of like oh my gosh this it's been so hard but like this because there's like such a deep disinvestment in this system so I think you know we're kind of as moms the narrative is always like figure it out you got this power through it you're the superhero you're gonna make it work but it's like yes and there should be a system that supports us so that we're not always operating that way because we deserve to have a little bit of freedom and flexibility and breathing space and softness in our lives as well and so anyway I appreciate y'all and the opportunity to get to talk about this and um, any any chance I have, I'll ping you, Rachel, if we see any movement happening. With I was going to say, you have to update us. I was going like, to say, we you know. need to have you back because like, I mean, I hope that there's movement to have you back, but we would love to have you back anytime if there's anything you want to talk about. Thank you so much for coming on with us. And we always like to give our guests one minute at the end to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Usually I say whatever you're passionate about, but that's what we've talked about for the past 40 minutes. But like, one minute to say whatever you have to say. It could be like a pop culture take, something else we haven't talked about. Like one minute, what's on your mind? I've just been thinking a lot about how grateful I am for the moms who really walk that line of like, let me show you what's up with my kid 
but also I'm going to keep it super real with you about like, you know, shit's hitting the fan. And I think when I look back on last year for me and all the ways that I, like I unfollowed so many parenting accounts and so many like mom influencers because I was just like, I feel terrible about, I'm just like not able to meet that. And I just found so much comfort in the folks who were like, Hey, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of struggling here. Like you want to grab a drink and like talk about it. Like just the realness that comes with being vulnerable. And like, there are great parts about parenthood and there are really difficult parts. And to be able to share both of those just means so much. And it's just top of mind in the sense of curating the things that come in, help me feel good. And so just grateful to Rachel for everything that you share and the way that you use your social media and your platform, because like you were one of the people that I looked at and I was like, Rachel is a real person and it makes me feel like I'm doing great. And (laughs) you are fine. (laughs) And that just means so much in a world where like, I don't know, everything is content nowadays, but like, if you keep it real, it like really, it really stands out. And so that's really basic, but there's just so much out there for moms and it's easy to get distracted. And as a first time mom, I just looked to the mamas who were keeping it super real. And that made a big difference. That's awesome. I'm like, so thank you so much, Carla, for saying that, because I'm also just like in this era too, where I feel the same way. Like I only am following moms who are like funny or like nuts or like, you know, again, who I'm just like, this is entertaining. Like, I want to see you like, I want to see your kids screaming and slamming the door in your face and you being like, (laughs) I'm trying so hard. You know what I mean? But that's the thing is like, there's humor in all of this. Like, you know what I mean? Like it is hard and it is sad and it is not our fault and all that and and I don't know and there's also just a lot of freaking joy you know and you look at these little babes and they're they're bizarre and they're um they're freaking funny like you know I don't know they're so funny they're so weird like a two and a half to three year old is the weirdest person you are ever gonna meet and you can get home and be like my child's so precious. Like, I'm sure they are, Tanya, but I'm also sure, like, your toddler also told you to fuck off at some point. And, like, that's funny. Like, we could talk about that. Like, and I always, embar- like, I just, I think by nature, a very vulnerable person, but I also, like, I make things funny because that is how I cope with life. You have <laughs> like to. That. Yeah. You have to. And, like, that, like, and when you're scrolling TikTok at night, like I do, and I, like, Rachel, I'm glad you're not in this habit and don't become like this. But like, I'm just like, oh God, like she has it together. It's like packing my toddler's lunchbox. I'm like, well, I don't like her lunch is provided, but should I also be packing a lunchbox? Right. Like, what am I doing? Do I need to cut? <laughs> do I need to start cookie cuttering her um like peanut butter and jelly? I bought an Uncrustables maker. Who the fuck am I? Like, I'm not doing that. That's not the kind of mom I am. Like, that's not the thing I need to do. So I, I like, and we talked a little bit like a episode that's going to come out about consuming content responsibly and like, mm, yeah. what does that mean and. I think that's what you have to do to set like a healthy boundary for yourself too, right? Because it's like, I'm not a, I'm never going to be a perfect parent. I don't want to be, that's just not how I am. But like, it makes you feel less because sometimes you're just like, wow, I am really not doing great. And then you're like, oh no, okay. I'm like everybody else. Like, this is fine. But with like a lack of having that village and sometimes feeling so isolated, especially if you don't live in a place with a lot of young families or like have a lot of mom friends, that's your exposure to how other people are doing. And that's your barometer. And that's, you gotta, it's, it's Okay. Maybe we should share some of our favorite um, like accounts to follow too when this episode goes oh, that's live. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Have you like on TikTok, there's this woman named Caroline. She's like from the UK. She lives in Massachusetts where it's like super expensive. She has no village, like whatever. And she just had her third baby like a week ago. And she just posted a TikTok where like she's trying to breastfeed the baby. Her six-year-old's like putting makeup on her and she has like literally 16 bows in her hair. And she goes, I think I like this little life. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Like that. It's just like that is what you need. Like that is how it is this sometimes. It's not always aesthetic, like pretty in the pines, Instagram, like we're going to do this whole, like my kid plays with only beige toys. Like that is just not life. So thank you for bringing that up because I think everyone needs like a healthy dose of reality in a good way. And like, that is what makes us all whole. Yeah. Like some days you rock motherhood, some days motherhood rock you and you know, you've got to roll with it. But anyway, um, thanks y'all. And this is uh, unrelated, but I just wanted to say, Rachel, my stepdad legally adopted me. And so when I heard that your daughter was going to go through that process, it made me really happy. So I'm excited for y'all. 
That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Jay was like hoping he was like, will it be done for Christmas? Can I like tell her? I was like, I don't think so. The paperwork's taking forever, but it's really sweet. And I'm like really excited to be able to do that and have that be part of her story. Like Mm -hmm. I never, again, foresaw that so soon that would be part of her journey. So yeah, it's awesome when you can, you know, somebody chose you. It's really, really cool. Oh, that's great to hear. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good note to end on, guys. This was great. So until next time. Thank you for listening to Delete If Not Allowed. We'd love if you'd send in your parenthood questions or hottest mom group drama to deleteifnotalloudpod at gmail.com. This podcast was hosted by Rachel Cook and Corey Santiago, produced by Megan Conroy, Rachel Cook, and Corey Santiago. Edited by Jesse Sander, music by Nate Sander. We'd like to thank our husbands, our daughters, and all the people who helped us along the way, however big or small. New episodes of Delete If Not Allowed drop every Wednesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Delete If Not Allowed Pod or find us on Facebook as Delete If Not Allowed.